Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Coffee and Devotions. This is where every day you and I, we get together, we have a little bit of coffee, we get into God's Word, and we grow in our love for the Lord together. And this year, 2023, Lord willing, we'll make it from Genesis to Leviticus. Today we're at a pivotal chapter in the entire Bible. Why don't we have some coffee, we'll pray, and we'll look at both a sobering as well as a grace-filled chapter. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the work you have done in history. True things. Lord, we pray that you would please help us to understand. We pray that you would teach us, enlighten our eyes. Let us know who you are and walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're at Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read through the whole chapter together. Like I said, one of the uh, most sobering, but also grace-filled chapters in the entire Bible. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said to you, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not; you will not surely die? For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, You are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. 
Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In your toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man and placed cherubim at the east of the garden of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life well we need to ask ourselves a few questions first a what is this about b what's the best verse to summarize this and c what are we called to do in response to these words so what is this about this is the fall of mankind What is this about? This is the end of the Garden of Eden. This is the entering in of sin. Now, I want to point something out here that's interesting. If you read through this ten times, you would never find the word sin in this passage. And yet, every single one of us knows what Adam and Eve did was transgress God's command. They sinned. See, because every sin is is a want unto or actual transgression of God's law, not doing what he has told us to do. They would have sinned if they decided, you know what, God, instead of tilling the garden, I think we're just going to go take a siesta. You know, I think we're just going to go, we we know some of this fruit, we could turn into wine and we could just go and and we can drink some wine and and just ignore the garden. Uh, That would have been a transgression as well, right? There was a covenant between them. God had graciously made them. He had made Adam and brought a comparable helper for him. He had told them to eat of any of the trees of the, of the garden, just not of the one of the knowledge of the tree and evil, lest they surely die. And they were to take dominion and multiply. And so they had the capacity, as St. Augustine said in the 300s, they had the capacity not to sin and the capacity to sin. They were able to not sin, and they were able to sin. They, they could do either. And so, the question here is, were they going to actually keep this covenant of works? Were they going to have access to the tree of life? Were they going to live forever in fellowship with God? And we see here, it starts off really Oh, really dark. Now the Lord, now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, "Has God indeed said to you, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden?" Well, no. The answer to that the answer is no. God told them that they could eat any of the tree, and she answers correctly back. And the woman said to the serpent. 
we may eat fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, we do notice that she adds something to God's command there, not even touch it. It seems pious at first. But then, the serpent questions God himself. If we just move quickly past verses 4 and 5, we'll see that what Satan is doing is calling God manipulative, selfish, and a liar. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He's calling God a liar. God has said, if you eat of it, dying you shall die. And here he says, you'll, you'll not die. He's, who's she going to trust? Who's she going to believe, her maker or this one who has somehow come into their midst? For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. See, he's saying God is selfish. He doesn't want you to have opened eyes. He wants you to have closed eyes. He, he doesn't want you to have this wisdom. And so she's, he's pitting her against God. He's testing to see, will you love God? Will you trust God? Will you follow God? Or will you realize that he doesn't want what's good for you? And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, in every instance here, Satan is attacking both the words, the integrity, and the love of God. Satan wants people to question can, can I really trust God's word? Does he really love me? Does he really want what's best for me? So the woman saw, and here, here we actually get a, we get a window into Eve's heart. We get just a snapshot into her soul, and we see what was going on in her mind as her affections changed away from God and toward what it was forbidden. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food. How, how, how was it good for food? By utilitarian standards, maybe. You know, it, it looked like just fruit from any other tree, maybe. But the reality is it wasn't good for food because God had said it wasn't good for food. He told them not to touch it. So you see, her, her morals were changing. Her, her thoughts were changing. Her affections were changing. That it was pleasant to the eyes. Who said it was pleasant to the eyes? This is one of the, the difficulties that we're to love what God loves and hate what God hates. He's, he's the one who told them, don't eat from that tree. And now she's looking at it and she's seeing that the tree is pleasant to the eyes. It looks good. She's letting her own desires start to chase away from her. We see the, the heart of a human being here being turned away from God himself. And the tree, and a tree desirable to make one wise. Notice again now she's desiring the wisdom that God has said, don't eat of it, you'll die. She took of its fruit and she ate. So she also gave it to her husband and he ate. Oh, this is so often, especially in families, when one member of the household sins and they fall in love and they desire a sin that often it begins to spread throughout a family group 
she gives it to Adam. And it was at this point, Adam, as her husband, should have said, Eve, what have you done? No, we need to go and we need, we need to find the Lord and we need to tell him what has happened. But here we notice that even Adam's heart follows his wife. Adam loves her more than God. Adam listens to her and he takes of that fruit and he, as a leader of his home, there's only two there, eats of it. This is betrayal against God. This is treason against the one who breathed life into his lungs. He's trusted a, a serpent rather than the one who brought him all the different animals. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew, oh, this is so great, isn't it? The knowledge of the tree and evil, what, what did it bring? They knew that they were naked. This innocent intimacy between the two of them was shattered. Immediately, one of the most core relationships to all human functioning, marriage, is tainted by sin. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves coverings. And so, this, the story continues on that it's the Lord God who's walking through the garden in the cool of the day, and, and he asks this almost like a father calling to his children, right? I know when my children are in their room playing, but sometimes I'll call to them because I want them to hear my voice and I want them to respond, right? It's, it's this, uh, this communication part of a relationship. And so he's, Adam, where are you? <laughs> right? It's almost like, hey, son, hey, bud, where are you? Right? And he gets an opportunity for him to respond. But in, instead of God walking in the cool of the garden of the day and, and them running to him and being so happy to spend time with the Lord, now they're fearful. They know that they've transgressed the covenant. They know that they have broken God's word. They know that they have eaten of the knowledge of the tree, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that the consequences for that were dying, you will die. And so now the God whom they once loved and enjoyed, now they are fearful of him. It calls him, Adam, where are you? So I said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because, notice, I was afraid not because of your word, not because of what you had said, not because of what we have done, but because we were naked. So I hid myself and God says to him, Hold on, that knowledge didn't come from me. Who told you you were naked? Who told you this? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, and here the blame shifting begins. Right, This intimate communion that they had with God has been broken. And now we see that instead of Adam fessing up, taking ownership, he blames his wife. Says, the woman you've given me, she gave me the fruit to eat. He blames her right away. Then the man and the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And, and then she blame shifts, right? Instead of owning it, 
She says, the serpent, he deceived me and I ate. This is so often, I can't tell you how often with sin, when I speak to people about what biblical apologies and what biblical repentance looks like, one of the key things is owning your own sin. Don't make yourself a victim to the circumstances around you or what someone else has done, but I, I broke your law, God. I transgressed, I hurt, I sinned. Owning that reality. But neither of them do this here. They both want to blame shift, they both want to push off, they both want to point to someone else. So the Lord... The Lord said to the serpent, right? He is mad at the serpent. The serpent is the one who deceived. The certain is serpent is the adversary. The serpent is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And, and here God curses him. All right, what are the curses he's ha- he has for him? He's going to have to go on his belly. So apparently the serpent was some some creature that was able to walk at that time. He's going to put and then verse 15. This main curse is on your belly, you're going to go. But verse 15 is what theologians call the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel. This is the first instance of grace, the first mention of Jesus Christ to come. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, known as a singular seed, Galatians picks that up. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, a child would come. A descendant would come from Eve. And there would always be this enmity between, between man and Satan. And Satan would be a constant tempter, a constant drawer of people away. He now has this this kingdom on the earth, and he's going to try to do everything he can to get people to go against him. But people are going to have a, a reality that they know who God is. He declares himself into creation, and there are going to be people who trust in God, but the, but Satan is always going to be trying to go against them. But someday the woman would have a child. One of her descendants would come and he would crush the head of the serpent. But the serpent would would bruise his seal. That seed who would come is Jesus Christ. And he would be our victor. He would be the one who would crush the head of Satan. But it wouldn't be without cost. Indeed, as we know, as the New Testament teaches us, the bruising of the heel indeed was the death on the cross. But it wasn't a final death. It's not that he would kill him, but he was bruised. But then he turns to the woman. And there are consequences for violating the covenant of works. He says to them, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So there's two different curses there. The first is this curse that it's going to hurt. When you have children, it's going to hurt. There's going to be pain and childbearing, 
And it's, and I think this pain is not just the physical pain, though it is without a doubt, speaking of that, but also the pain of rearing children, of discipling the children, of, of bringing them. They're not going to listen. They're going to do whatever they want. They're going to be children of disobedience just like you, and there's going to be emotional pain as well as physical suffering because of this transgression. But number two, the household is going to be affected by this. Right, The household is going to be affected by this, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. This idea that, that there would constantly be this power struggle in the family, who would be the head, who would do this, and she would desire her husband, she would want the place that he has, the honor that he has, the role that he has, the things that he has, and that he would be a tyrant over her. And this is a curse that I constantly preach and, and counsel and fight against in our own congregation and in, in, in different relationships that I see in the community. When people come into my office and I have to tell husbands, you cannot be so harsh with your wife. You must be kind to her. You must be gentle with her. Right? Your prayers will be hindered. You must love her as Christ loves the church. Peter specifically talks about not being harsh towards your wife. You gotta be gentle with her, man. And this 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 twisting and breaking up of the family now is a direct result because of the fall. But it's not just that. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. What is the curse that the Lord places on Adam? He says, Curse is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, dust you are, and to dust you shall return. He says to man, Yo, buddy, your work is going to be hard. You've been able to tend the garden, and it's been easy. Thorns and thistles, when you pulled up weeds, they didn't show back up there. What you planted, what you cultivated, what you, what you made, your work stood, not anymore. You're going to have to work hard. It's going to be difficult for you. It's going to be trying for you. It's going to be miserable for you. And here again, we see baked in, though, this reality that this is going to mess up the family it's going to it's going to make things hard and yet there's a hint here of grace he doesn't slay them right away he doesn't kill them right away right dying you shall die it seems as if surely you you shall die the day you eat of it you will surely die it seems like the lord would just bring down the hammer and just wipe them out But instead, the Lord is gracious. He allows them to live. They will taste death. But he's going to be gracious, and he's going to allow them to continue to live for a time. But notice he says, don't presume upon that grace. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So he says, someday you are going to die. Someday your body is going to go into the earth and you're going to decay and you're going to be gone. So now death has entered into the world. 
verse 20, and Adam, now he, he had called her Isha before woman. He was Ish man. Now he's named her Isha, but now he's going to change her name. I give her another name. Adam called his wife Eve, Chava, because she was the mother of all living. And so Adam begins to refer to her as what in the Greek is Zoe, in the, uh, in the Hebrew Chava, um, yeah, Eve, what we would, would, the things that are living. Why? Because she's the mother of all living. She's going to, God has just told her about childbirth. And then we notice again, God is still gracious. Even in the midst of sin. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics and clothed them. The Lord is the one who covers them himself with far better than fig leaves. But even though they are transgressors, even though they have broken his law, turned their faces, turned their hearts away from him, distrusted him, he's still caring for them. He clothes them. He listened to them. I really think that one of the things that's happening in in verse 20 is Adam's confession of faith. In renaming his wife Eve, I I think what he's doing is he is trusting the Lord that they are still going to live, that the Lord isn't going to kill them, and that they're going to have children, and that life is going to go on, but it's going to be changed forever. And the Lord graciously is the first one who sheds animals' blood, it seems like. And he's the one who covers them with tunics. He's the one who still shows them care, even though they transgressed the covenant of works. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like us, like one of us. And so he casts them out of the garden, so they might not eat of the tree of life. He sends them away. He guards Eden. And he he takes them away. What's the best verse to summarize this section? Well, in my Bible, I would probably uh, underline verse 4 and 5, the devil's speech. Um, And then I would also not just underline, but I would star and double underline and everything else, verse 15, because this is the beginning of the covenant of grace. That God is going to, from Genesis 3.15 to the end of Revelation, show how he is redeeming a people for himself through the seed of the woman. What's the last seed calling? What are we called to do? Who do you trust? Do you love the Lord? Do you follow the Lord? Do you listen to the Lord? Do you cling to the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? Do you believe that what he says is good is good and what he says is evil is evil? Or do you distrust him? We all make these decisions every day. In the type of relationships we engage in, how we engage in different relationships, how we engage with food, how we engage with the media and the culture around us, the words that come out of our mouths, the things that we think, the things we desire in our hearts, how how you handle your life shows whether or not you're trusting the Lord or whether or not you're going after your own heart 
Go to Jesus Christ. Remember God's word. I pray that the Holy Spirit might be working in your heart in such a way that you would cling to the seed of the woman and that what he has said is good and right and holy and just and pure and lovely and of good report. You would love those things and that you would be so united to Jesus Christ, so loving Jesus Christ, that you would remember his commandments and keep them and that you would abide in Jesus Christ and you would bear much good fruit. But we also have to be honest with the reality of sin. The sin that is so inherent in us, see, because of, and we're going to find this more and more, especially in verse chapters 6 and 9, our sin nature is real. We know who God is. But the reality of sin has permeated and, and filled every part of our lives now. And so we must be honest and sober that we need Jesus Christ and we need the Holy Spirit to change us away from the ways we want to go. Because as Augustine said, from this point on, no longer was man able to sin or not able to sin. Now they were not able not to sin. Sin was part of our lives all the time. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that we are restored back to the garden. And that you, Christian, now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you choose. Will you follow God and walk in his ways? Will you love Jesus Christ and bear much good fruit? Or will you be deceived and go the way of Satan? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit and the gift of grace you have sent us. Lord, we pray that we would follow you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you. May you walk in the joy and peace of Jesus Christ, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's message from God's Word for You, a ministry of Sharon R.P. Church in rural southeast Iowa. We pray that the message would be used by God to transform your faith in your life this week. If you'd like to get more information about us, feel free to go to the website, SharonRPC.org. We'd love to invite you to worship with us. Our worship time is 10 a.m. every Sunday at 25204 160th Avenue, Morning Sun, Iowa, 52640. May God richly bless you this week.